0: A, uh, <clears throat> <clears throat> there is a debate going on as to whether or not today I feel better than I felt last week. I can tell you I feel better than I did on Monday. It's Tuesday, but uh, we're—I think we're on the upswing of this this cold, and so um, this will be adventures and hard listening. Uh, but we'll, we'll see how far we get into the sermon and. Uh, The Holy Spirit will close us down, you know, if if he wants to. Uh, But having said that, uh, I'm I'm still on the not shaking hands with people thing because I don't want to share germs with you. You know, handshaking is a barbaric custom. What civilized people, you know, say, here, (coughs) how are you? You know where it originated, don't you? Let me tell you, I'm so glad you asked. You know, back in the days of the knights with the, well, back in the days of the Romans, too, you know, you had your sword and all that. So to to show a person that you weren't going to draw your sword and fight with them and kill them, you each grabbed each other's hand. It was sort of like a sign of mistrust going on. So, you know, whenever you shake somebody with your hand, you basically say, I don't plan to kill you. And I mean, it's a barbaric custom. I mean, why do we do this? John, why am I here? No, no, but you shake my hand. That's all. I love you. <laughs> no. <laughs> there were times, however. <laughs> all right, well, we're, we're in Isaiah chapter 60, and we're going to look at the first three verses of this. Uh, the, the run-up to it is Isaiah prophesied, say, about 700 years before Christ. And the prophecy we're reading uh, today in verse 60 applies to Israel about 500 years before Christ. So Isaiah's prophesying it'll be 200 years before this is fulfilled, um, and it's about 2,500 years before now and 500 years before Christ, as I said. And uh, the, the situation is that God's people, the Jews, uh, they you know, their national history has been one of invasion and conquest and outside powers controlling the nation and things like that. And ultimately, and, and Isaiah has been talking about this and prophesying this, that ultimately what will happen is that the, the, the Jewish kingdom, particularly the southern kingdom, but the Jewish kingdom will finally be conquered by Babylon. Uh, if you want to think about Babylon, who are they? Uh, it's basically Iraq today. And uh, so the people from Iraq, the the Babylonians will come, they will conquer the Jews, and they will take all the leaders, and religious leaders, and kings, and and all those kinds of people, craftsmen, they'll take them back to Babylon, and employ their skills there, and leave uh, Israel as an empty land, Uh, Jerusalem as a defeated city, the walls knocked down, and 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 things of that nature, but Isaiah prophesied that God would also bring you back. And uh, the way He's going to do that is the Persians, who today is the nation of Iran, will conquer the Babylonians, the Iraqis. Which, by the way, that's that, that's basically the reason the Iranians and the Iraqis hate each other today. It it goes back into biblical times, but the. The Persians will conquer the Babylonians, and the Babylonians will let the Jews go back home, return to Israel, and once they get back to Israel, they will rebuild the city of Jerusalem. And this is what happened, actually, in history. They went back, the walls were rebuilt, and the temple was rebuilt, and instead of being sort of a low-level pile of rubble, the city again became a place of majesty and a, a place of splendor. And so Isaiah, at this point, he's prophesying, uh, the prophecy being so real that he can talk about it as if it has already happened. He says, and, and when that happens, you can imagine the city suddenly again just shining in the early morning light. And when you see the sun rising, you'll see the city gleaming. And so he says to Israel, arise, to Jerusalem, to arise uh, and let this light, this thing that God has done, in restoring you and rebuilding you let that be known and seen and then the rest of the chapter says that as a result Jerusalem will become a hub and a focal point for all the world the the uh, trade caravans of the Arabian Peninsula will come up and the and the sea peoples and the, um, the Mediterranean sea traders will will come uh, to Jerusalem and do business and it, it'll just be an uh, an attraction for, for all the world, and all the world, as he says, will come to your light, is the way that the Bible ultimately uh, puts it. So that's what we're talking about. Isaiah, 200 years before the fact, talking about uh, the restoration of Israel. But again, as Isaiah would look at this, and, and what happens as God's glory restores his people, and he calls them to rise and shine and let that glory be known, there's, there's, you sort of look at that, and then he looks past it, And it's into our lives today, for the Word of God doesn't doesn't change. It's a living Word, and and it always has power in our lives. And it talks to us today about rising and shining, and that's what we'll be looking at a little bit later on. So that's the historical background, restoration, rebuilding of the city of Jerusalem. Now it's a gleaming city. It needs to rise and shine among the nations so that God's glory would be known. Um, Just to get a flavor of that, let's read the first three verses. In Isaiah chapter 60. And arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Let's bow together in prayer. Gracious Father, sometimes we're proud of ourselves because we have fit you into our lives and we have fit you into our schedules. We have found time to spend in prayer and Bible study. We we find time, many times, you know, most of the time to, to, to just think about you and to acknowledge you. Uh, we, we have fit you into our schedule on our weekends so that we are... We are worshiping you most of the time, and we have fit you into our schedule so that unless something else more important comes up, we're, we're going to be with you. God, how thankful we are you did not fit us into your schedule, but rather from the foundation of the world, you designed the universe as a place where we might turn to you and know you and love you and walk with you. How thankful we are that you didn't give us the leftovers of your attention, but even though you are holding the entire universe together, yet you give us your full and undivided attention. How thankful we are, Father, that we are not just crammed into an, a, a corner of the schedule and we're not fitted into some leftover piece of time. but Rather, you have woven us intricately into your will, that our lives would be a part of what you are doing in bringing you glory. Father, thank you for loving us so much that you have brought us to yourself. And we thank and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Fortunately, youth, teenagers, adolescents today have no trouble getting out of bed. I mean, all you have to do is walk into the room and say, time to get up. Boing! Am I right? Isn't that the way it works? No? You mean it's just like the way in my days? Somebody walks in, rise and shine there a gun around here. Somewhere. <clears throat> now, sometimes it's hard to get up. Now, there's some people who just spring out of bed every morning. You know, they, they wake up, they're bright, they're alert, they wake up, they get a ton of stuff done in the first half hour of the day. Don't you just hate people like that? <laughs> but it's hard to, and you'll see the point here, it's hard to arise sometimes. You know, sometimes it, you're just sort of tired. You're, you're not motivated. You just don't want to get up out of the chair, whatever it is. It's hard to get up in many places for many reasons. But the thing about the way God works is that whenever he works and his glory is made manifest, immediately after that, there's a question. Now what? What are you going to do now? Are just going to sit there? Or will you arise, and your life will be different because of what God has done? You remember the uh, uh, the shepherds were keeping watch over their flock by night, and uh, you remember that lo the angel, his name was lo lo the angel uh, came and uh, you know and announced the, the birth of the of the Christ child and having announced the birth and the heavens just go ablaze with the glory of God, the light of this angelic course and glory to God the highest and, and all that and then the angels go away. Now what? You talk, I think it's your turn to keep watch. I'm going to take a few, you know, take a nap. No. In the light of what God has done, something has to happen, and here's what it is. Let us go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has been told unto us. And something had to change. I mean, that's what happened throughout the life of Jesus. Wherever he went, people figured out, something's got to give here. I've got to react one way or the other. You just didn't stay neutral towards Jesus. And so when he encountered the man who had been born blind. This is John chapter 9, and and uh, the man, the blind man, was brought to him, and Jesus uh, spit on the ground, and he formed a, a paste, a, 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 a compress, and he put it on the man's eyes. He said, now go wash that off in the pool of Siloam. And at that moment, the man had to make a decision. What was he going to do? Anybody in the rational mind would have just stood there because, after all, Everybody knows washing mud off your eyes isn't going to help you to see. But what do you got to lose? And so he went and he washed and he saw again. After the resurrection, uh, you know, Jesus appeared to the disciples. You know, first, the, you know, the, without Thomas, and then with Thomas, and and so it's in Gospel of John. And then just so they were they, they were very much convinced of the resurrection of Jesus. They knew that something miraculous and and, and, and significant it happened and, and, and so they were sitting in a room and they are sort of by themselves and saying you know, what, what are you going to do next what are you going, going to do now and Peter the great theologian Peter the one with insight into spiritual dynamics and, and how to develop one's soul in the light of who Christ is in the resurrection he comes up with this brilliant plan for spiritual development he says I'm going fishing Fortunately, Christ went fishing for him. And he found him and he called him into a peculiar ministry. You can read about that in the end of John's Gospel. But whenever God works, you're left with a question, now what? What are we going to do now? And sometimes it's just a simple thing. Get up, shine, just do what God asks. That's what Isaiah was talking about when he was talking to uh, Israel, talking to the city of Jerusalem. Uh, you know, saying, look, God has done a, a marvelous thing. He's brought you back out of cop- captivity. You, you didn't think that was going to happen. Look what God did. And then His grace and His mercy and, and the rebuilding of the walls of the city and the, and the re- restoration of the temple and all this and, and is a manifestation of the mercy, the grace, the glory of God. God has done all this and, and now your city is there on the hill? What are you going to do? Let me give you a hint. Arise and shine just get up and shine now maybe a a word study in the Hebrew would help us here because the word for arise is a call imperative um, that is um, used the the actual term is kumi and here's what it actually means get up I mean it's it's just that simple it says get up Get off your chair and stand up. But the interesting thing is the glorious thing and the merciful thing is, he says, arise and shine. And the way we've always read that is you need to make sure that your life is a light, that your life is is so wonderful that everybody will see your life and they will want to be just like you. I mean, forgive us, sometimes we tell our children that. You need to live the kind of life that the other children would want to be like you. Now, there's a burden that you can put on a young psyche. You can't even do that. Why are you telling your kids to do that? The Bible doesn't say that. It doesn't say arise and generate a light within yourself so that you're some kind of brilliant people. No, you're not that brilliant. It says arise and shine. Why? Before, because your light has come. And if you don't understand what that means, it means this. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. It is the glory of God that shines. Our task isn't to be so wonderful that everybody wants to be like me. Our task is to get out of the way so everybody can see God in us and see the Lord Jesus Christ in us and see the marvelous grace and the glory of God working in us and the result of God's grace and glory working in us is that we arise, we get up, and God's glory shines out through us. Now, we live in a world that needs for God's people to get up and let his glory be seen. We live in a world of darkness. I mean, that's, that's what he says in verse 2. He says, Behold, the darkness shall cover the earth. Thick darkness, it's going to cover the peoples. We live in a dark world. We live in a world that knows nothing about Sin that turns right and wrong on its head. That has decided that the rules can change as long as I can, I can pull it off. I can use things and manipulate things to my own advantage. There are no absolutes. That which the Bible calls sin is just alternative lifestyle. I'm telling you, we're, we're living in a dark world. You know, in just a couple of generations. People are going to be yelling about big marijuana companies and how they're lying to us. And they're selling to our kids. And they're trying to make money and they're paying for congressmen and they're buying elections. You know, in just a couple of generations, the marijuana industry is going to make big tobacco look like child's play. And I'm not even a prophet. I just see the the, the way things run and how people operate. You know this is true. You know it's true. And all kinds of self-indulgence will be the order of the day. We live in a world of darkness. But the neat thing is that when Jesus was born, and then he started his earthly ministry, Matthew says, that's fulfilling what what Isaiah said. Matthew says, in Isaiah 9, it says, the people that dwell in darkness have seen a great light. And that light is Jesus Christ. He is a great light because he is the guiding light. When his ship is at sea and and it's away from the light pollution of the land and all you can see is the the dark night sky, there's there's a brilliance to the stars. But there's one star that's a great light, and that's the north star. That's how you navigate. That's how you know to get to where you need to be. It's a great light. Jesus is a great light because he illuminates the world around us. It wasn't too long ago that out in our parking lot at night it was sort of like a 50-50 proposition if you could find your car. Not because you parked it in some out-of-the-way spot but because it was just so dark out there. If anybody wants to be thankful for our building and grounds committee that put LED lights out there, go ahead. Because you can kind of like see now. There's There's stuff out there I had no idea it was there. But when a great light shines into the darkness, suddenly you see what's really there. Jesus proclaimed, he stood up, he said, I am the light of the world. The one who follows me will never walk in darkness. They'll walk in the light. The New Testament tells us to walk in the light as Jesus is in the light. John chapter 1, Jesus has referred to the light coming into the world and the darkness Did not comprehend him. Um, Several ways that means that when the light of Jesus comes into the world, the darkness does not understand him. The darkness does not surround him. The darkness does not comprehend who he is. The darkness does not overcome him. Because he is the light of the world. When we all arrive in the New Jerusalem, those of us believers in Jesus Christ, the the book of Revelation chapter 21 tells us that when we get to the holy city, the bride of Christ, that there is no sun or moon, there's no need for it because the Lamb is its light, and he illuminates everything. Jesus is the light of the world, and so in a world of darkness, just get up and shine for Jesus. Jesus. Just get up and, and and let it be known that He is your Savior and that He is worthy of attention. He's worthy of obedience. He's worthy of people following Him and giving their lives to Him. And that's not something we're saying because we're great. We're saying that because He is great. We live in a world of darkness, but Jesus is the light of the world. That's also true on a very personal level and Here I'm talking more about the darkness of the heart. It's the darkness that we experience as individuals. It's it's the darkness that comes our way. And you've lost a loved one, as, as the old hymn used to say, you've lost the nearest and dearest on earth. And you ask, does Jesus care? Oh, yes, he cares. His heart is touched with our grief. It's the darkness you feel when that loss just lingers and there's an emptiness there. It's the darkness that comes when you suffer from depression. Now, I, I, I understand that everybody goes through sad times, and, it, and it's, it's applicable to that, but there, there's, there's a kind of sadness that can come upon you that it's almost like a physical weight and a darkness that, that, that just descends upon your life. And there's no brightness and there's no color and there's no definition. Your life is just this dark, at best gray, sort of experience. I pray you never experience that, but if you do, and, and, and many of you will. Now, there's a lot of reasons why that, that can happen. Some of them are environmental reasons. You, you lose a loved one, you, you sink into depression. You you lose a job and disappointment, you sink into depression. Uh, you come to understand that the dreams you've had for your life may not come true. I mean, sometime around age 42 a lot of us realize we're never going to be the astronaut or the brain surgeon or the you know, the greatest writer of all time, you know, yeah, maybe you will, I don't know, yeah, yeah, but but by and large, a lot of times, you know, in that midlife thing, we start to understand, you know, some of those dreams, uh, they're just not going to happen, and, and we start to grieve over them, and that can cause a, a kind of depression. Now, now what will happen is when you have these sort of what I call environmental factors causing depression, it will affect the biochemistry of the brain, and then the brain actually starts contributing to the pr- depression because it keeps feeding biochemical signals to your brain to be sad, to be sad, to keep grieving to keep grieving and folks when that happens don't be afraid to get counseling God honoring counseling and if part of that counseling is to well take take an aspirin for the brain you know there might be a medication that can suspend this biochemical thing going on in the brain and give you just enough relief long enough to work through the external factors so that you can get back on your feet again Praise God, that, that's available to us. So don't be afraid of counseling. And, and again, prescribe. Don't self-prescribe and don't, don't try to fix it on your own. and, and, uh, and that, that But do it with, with, with good, solid, professional counseling that is God-honoring. But when you hit that depression, there's, there's a darkness that comes into the world, into your own. And when that happens, this passage tells us a couple of things. Uh, one of the things it tells us is that the glory of God is still there. The glory of God is still in your life. You may not realize it. You may not even want to see it. But the glory of God is still there. Look, folks, if you ever read or hear that I have gone camping, uh, you'll know that, that one of several things is true. It, th- this is either fake news... Or I have been abducted by the mothership. Or it's a sign of the second coming. One of those three. So I don't do camping. My idea of, of roughing it is black and white TV in the hotel room. But if I were to go camping in the mountains, and I set up my tent, and I get inside the tent, and I say, I just don't feel like getting out of the tent anymore. I just, I just want to sit here. And I know that day and night come because the walls of the tent get dark and then they get lighter and they get dark and they get lighter. Somebody takes pity on me and they slip my meals to me through the tent flap. And so I'm functioning and surviving. I'm eating meals and I'm inside this tent. But the glory of the mountains are still there. I never see them because I'm in the tent. I never see it. But the glory of the mountains are still there. You drive to the Grand Canyon Family gets out, they want to run Go see the Grand Canyon Stand on that little glass thing That makes them feel like they're You know, I don't know why anybody would do that But, you know, but they, they want to run they, they run over to see the Grand Canyon You say, nah, I'm going to stay in the car And all you see is the inside of your car The Grand Canyon is still grand And it is still glorious And it is still marvelous I don't see it Because I'm stuck in my car. But the glory of God is still there. If you ever hit a a time of depression, just at the very least remind yourself, God's glory doesn't depend on my feelings. And, And the reality of God's majesty isn't brought about because I sense it or I see it or I... I'm engaged with it. God is God and his glory is his glory and he makes his glory known and manifest whether we see it or not. Folks, if you're next to somebody who's stuck in the tent and somebody who just wants to stay in the car, first of all, love them like crazy. Embrace them, understand them, but in a way that only God's wisdom can give you, remind them, hey, poke your head out of the tent. It's okay to see glory. It doesn't disqualify you. From, from suffering. We know you're suffering and we're going to work through it and we'll do the counseling and the therapy and you know we'll work through it. But look, take a moment and see the glory and the majesty of God. You just encourage them that way. So, what you know, what we know is that in our times of personal darkness and in the, the darkness of the heart, um, we know that the glory of God is still there. And the other thing we know is that we can still rise. That's what he says. The glory of God has been given to you. You might be in darkness. The glory of God has come. I want you to stand up. Rise. Just do a simple thing like standing up. Just just get up. Poke your head out of the, out of the, out of the tent flap. Get, get out of the car. Just look at things around you. You can rise. Now, I know what you're thinking. If, if you're in the middle of a, of a depressive spell, you're saying, No, I can't. That's the whole problem. I would love to just leap out of bed and be happy again. And I can't do it. But let me tell you how this thing of rising works. Jesus was walking along and he was passing by a city. The name of the city was Nain. And as he walked by, he saw a funeral procession coming out of the city, right at the gate. And they were carrying a young man who had died. And he was the only son of his widowed mother. And so she walked with the procession grieving because she had lost her son, she'd lost her husband previously, and now she was alone. And Jesus went over to the procession, the funeral procession. And uh, the, the, the way it's recorded for us in the Bible, Jesus said, to the young man, young man, rise. That's the nuttiest thing I've ever heard. Who goes to dead people and tells them to rise? Jesus does. He goes to people who can't get up and he tells them, get up. And the young man got up and Jesus gave him back to his mother. There's a time when Jairus, he was a ruler in the synagogue, and he came to Jesus, and he said, Jesus, you've got to come with me. My little girl, she's, she's about 12 years old, and she's dying. You've got to come heal her. And Jesus, in mercy, said, fine, I'll go with you. And he goes with her, and then there's there's a whole scene that happens with the, the, the woman with the issue of blood, and that's a whole sermon as well. But, but it says that, that when he got to the house, the people came out and said, you're too late. She's dead. There's nothing you can do. Jesus said, "No, she's not dead." He dismisses everybody and he goes in the house, into, into the room. And uh, Mark's gospel tells us that he took this dead little girl's hand and he said to her, "Talitha cum, Talitha cum," Jeramaic." Mark then translates translates it for us. It says, child, rise. That word kum, by the way, is the same word in Isaiah. Kumi. One's Hebrew, one's Arabic. Same word, kum. Rise. Little girl, rise. This makes no sense. Unless it's Jesus who tells you to rise. Because Jesus raises up people who cannot rise. And he brings up people who cannot get up themselves. And so when the paralytic was lowered through the the roof of a house where Jesus was preaching, and and the man on on his back had been that way for years and years. And at the feet of Jesus, Jesus looks at this man, friends of the the guy up, up overhead looking down through the hole, and Jesus says to him, your sins are forgiven. All the religious people say, who does he think he is? Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus says, you know, you're right. Only God can forgive sins. By the way, that's what I just did. But so that you can know that the Son of Man has the authority to forgive sins. And he looked at the man and he said this. Rise. Take up your bed and walk. Who says that kind of thing to a paralyzed man? Get up and walk. Jesus does. Because Jesus raises up people who cannot get up. And so when you you say, I can't get up, that's right, you can't. But the glory of the gospel is this. When you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Bible says God sends the gift of the Holy Spirit into your life. And because of the presence of the Holy Spirit, you can do all kinds of things by the power of God in you. And sometimes all we need to do is take just that one first little motion. Get up. Right? You sit up in bed. Get up. You hang your feet over the side get up and you stand up. And the day is different from that moment on. Arise and let the glory of God's grace shine in your life. And if you're in, your, if you're in the darkness of depression, and, and, and I'm not saying you know, it's just evil, hey, just be happy and go. And I'm not trying to be you know, more joyful than Pollyanna or something, but I'm just telling you there's hope. And that hope is Jesus Christ because he's the light of the world who enlightens even the darkness of depression. You see, there's a darkness to the world and a darkness to the heart, but there's a darkness of the soul, and that's called sin. And our sin is when we have rebelled against the Father, and we've left Him out, and we've denied His will, and we, we just go our own way. And professing ourselves to be wise, we become fools, and we exchange the glory of the Creator for the mere image of birds and lizards. And in our sin, we're dying on the inside. Is a darkness to our sin. But on the cross, Jesus took our sin upon himself. Our sin on Jesus, he dies in our place. And the Bible says that when Jesus died for our sin, darkness covered the face of the earth. The darkness lingered. Until a small shaft of light came out of the tomb as the stone was rolled away. And that little beam of light kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And had we been there, the stone rolled away, we would have peered into the tomb and been blinded by the brightness of the resurrection of Christ, who came out of the tomb. So that when the women were looking for him, what did the angels say? Why are you looking for the living among the dead? He is not here. What is he? He is risen. He got up. He's risen. And because of that, we rise in Christ Jesus. And so the women went and they told Peter and all the disciples, and the scripture says that Peter rose and went to see the tomb. He had to do something with that. And what he needed to do was just get up and go and rise up. Saul on the road to the Damascus encountered what was literally a blinding light, the glory of God in Christ. Blinding light so that he he fell down and on the ground. And when the conversation was over and Jesus and the light went away. So Saul was on the ground, in the dust, blind. But he rose, was led by hand into Damascus. Ananias came, shared the gospel with him, prayed for him. Saul received the gift of the Holy Spirit. The very next thing the Bible says is, he rose and was baptized. He just got up and was baptized. See, it's, it's the rising that is the what now. That's what we are called to do. With the glory of God in Christ Jesus. Now what? Rise! Just get up. Let your light be seen. Let the light of, and the glory of God the Father in Christ Jesus seen in you by the power of the Holy Spirit but just get up and go for him now I, I really would, would praise God if all of you could say you know I don't need any of this today because after all my life is going very very well uh, everything's falling into place uh, all my plans are working out everything I, I I try to do works out perfectly and and I and I think that's great. God does that for some people so the rest of us can, can learn about the grace of God, I guess. But for the rest of us, when we encounter that darkness, whether it's darkness of the world around us or the darkness within us that of circumstances or it's the darkness of sin, heed the call of the word of God. Rise and shine. Let's pray together. Such a great light, Father. Such a great light that dispels the darkness of the world. Such a great light that pushes to the side the darkness of our hearts. Such a great light that removes forever the darkness of our sin. Thank you for the light of Jesus Christ. And give to us now the courage of faith. This week, to at some point, say, I'm simply going to get up out from where I am, and I'm going to move out in the glory of God. Father, give us that courage to rise and shine for you. And I ask it in Jesus' name.